This episode is sponsored by Celestron, manufacturer of high-quality telescopes and an industry leader in developing exciting optical products with revolutionary technologies. I'm Kelly Beattie of Sky and Telescope magazine, and tonight we're going on a tour of the stars and planets that you'll see overhead during February. First, we'll keep tabs on the moon, say goodbye to a couple of planets, trace out the winter hexagon, and explore some lesser-known constellations near Orion. So grab your curiosity, put on a warm coat, and come along on this month's Sky Tour. As each month begins, I like to imagine what the moon will look like over the next few weeks and where it'll be in the sky. Usually, I make a mental note of the month's first major lunar phase. But this month it's tricky, because that would be the last quarter moon on February 2nd. Whenever I hear last quarter, I think to myself, hmm, better get up before dawn or wait to catch it high overhead in the morning daytime sky. New moon follows on the 9th. And in the days thereafter, you can look for a thin crescent in the evening sky. Right now, the moon's orbit hits the western horizon at a steep angle, so you'll be surprised how quickly that waxing crescent climbs upward and becomes apparent. In fact, if your sky is super clear on February 10th, look very low in the west, starting about 20 minutes after sunset. With luck, you'll see a faint, incredibly thin lunar crescent just barely 24 hours past the moment of new moon. Those of you on the West Coast have a slightly better chance of success, and I give you all permission to cheat and use binoculars. First quarter follows on the 16th, but a couple of days before that, on the 14th, the fat lunar crescent slides not far from Jupiter, and they'll make a lovely pair. The full snow moon rounds out our lunar cycle on February 24th. Visually, this will be the smallest full moon of the year. Now, it's common these days to hear about supermoons, which honestly aren't all that super, but can you discern that this one is a minimal moon? Have a look and judge for yourself. This time of year, it's not all that hard to get out of bed well before sunrise. So, if you're up early enough and it's still dark, you'll notice something strangely familiar about the stars that are arrayed overhead. For example, look towards south and you'll recognize the distinctive arc of Scorpius. Well up in the east are Vega, Deneb, and Altair, corners of the Summer Triangle. These are indeed the stars of northern summer, so what's going on? Well, several months from now, Earth will have swung about halfway around its orbit and that change will cause a big westward shift of these stars and constellations from the morning sky into the evening sky. Conversely, the stars that we're now seeing after sunset will have swung around into the pre-dawn sky. There are a couple of planets lurking around before sunrise, but it's hardly a celestial spectacle. Venus is way, way lower down than it was just a couple of months ago. Look for it close to the southeastern horizon, by the width of your clenched fist held at arm's length. Start looking about an hour before sunup early in February, but more like 30 minutes beforehand at month's end. The only help here is that Venus is really bright, so you will see it if your view in that direction is free of buildings and trees and if the sky is clear. Last month, you'll recall, 
Mercury made a brief appearance in the pre-dawn sky, but it's gone now. It'll swing into view into the evening sky next month. And Mars is there in the dawn twilight, but boy, it's going to be a challenge to spot until it finally starts to climb higher in May and June. In the meantime, the morning of February 22nd offers a good chance to spot Mars, because it will be just one half degree from Venus. Again, you'll need a clear sky and an unobstructed view toward east. Start looking about 30 minutes before sunrise. Over in the evening sky, yes, Jupiter continues to put on a good show, and the King of Planets will remain in view until mid-April or so. But Saturn has drifted too deep into the twilight to see anymore. It'll be absent from the evening sky until September. Bye-bye! February is often the coldest month of the year for Northerners, but the sun is telling a different story. The December solstice came and went several weeks ago, and you can already notice that the days are getting longer, with earlier sunrises and later sunsets. The celestial geometry is changing too, as the sun is starting to slide farther north in the sky. In fact, during February, the sun races northward among the stars by about one degree every three days. Heck, in no time at all, we'll be on the threshold of spring. But the stars of winter are still firmly in control of the nighttime firmament. Let's track a few of them down. Note where the sun sets, and once twilight starts to envelop you, wheel around to the left until you're looking in nearly the opposite direction. The night sky's most dazzling star is Sirius, down near the southeastern horizon. Also known as the Dog Star, Sirius appears so bright, partly because it is bright, outshining the sun by 25 times, and partly because it's relatively close by, only eight and a half light years away. Above Sirius is the distinctive pattern of Orion the Hunter, the quintessential constellation of winter, or of summer, I suppose, if you live in Australia. Orion is unmistakable, even if you suffer from lots of light pollution, with three stars in a tight diagonal row marking his belt, surrounded by a tall, boxy quartet of bright stars to frame his torso. To the belt's upper left is the red supergiant star Betelgeuse, which marks Orion's left shoulder. Now, you'd never guess it, because it's 428 light-years away, but Betelgeuse is one of the biggest stars known. If you swapped it for our sun, its surface would be somewhere between Mars and Jupiter, and Earth digested into star stuff. To the upper right of Betelgeuse, by about two fists, is another red giant star. That's Aldebaran, the angry eye of the bull Taurus. Now look closely. As with Betelgeuse, both of these beacons have a reddish tinge that sets them apart subtly from the stars around them. As you look around this part of the sky, you'll notice a bunch of bright stars. Sky gazers often trace out an enormous six-sided pattern called the Winter Hexagon that connects them. To find it, imagine that Betelgeuse is in the middle of the hexagon. To its lower right, on the other side of Orion's belt, is icy white Rigel, marking the hunter's left leg. The long-ago Iranian astronomer Al-Sufi called this star Rai al-Jauza, the herdsman of Jauza. And what was he herding? Camels, it seems, represented by two stars in the belt, Betelgeuse and Bellatrix, which marks Orion's other shoulder. Now, today we know that Rigel is actually a system of at least four stars, 860 light-years away, 
that appear as a single blue-white point of light to the eye. From Rigel, slide your gaze to the lower left by three fists until you reach Sirius. Now count clockwise around the hexagon, heading upper left by another three fists until you reach the star Procyon. Glide to the upper left until you reach Pollux, and above it, Castor. These are the twins of Gemini. Continue to the upper right of the twins, almost to overhead, to find Capella. From there, it's a three-fist hop down to Aldebaran, and another three-fist hop brings you back to Rigel. There you have it, the winter hexagon. Rigel, Sirius, Procyon, Pollux, Capella, and Aldebaran, with Betelgeuse anchoring its middle. Now, even if you suffer from awful light pollution, these stellar sparklers will be hard to miss. In mythology, Orion is a famous hunter, and maybe for that reason the ancients surrounded him with several types of prey. Sure, Aldebaran and the stars of Taurus the bull are to Orion's upper right, but I'm talking about other critters that are lurking right around Orion and even under his feet. For example, shift your gaze to the right of Orion, the region of sky just below Taurus. Even if you don't have a lot of light pollution, you'll see that there's not much there. But every bit of the entire sky belongs to one constellation or another, and the wide expanse just to Orion's west is a huge but very dim constellation named Eridanus, representing an ancient mythical river. It begins at the foot of Orion, near Rigel, and meanders sideways and downward for quite a distance. Its brightest star, Akronar, is well below the horizon for us northerners. But Akronar is a prominent nighttime beacon for those in the southern hemisphere. Now look to Orion's left, and again you'll notice lots of rather starless real estate between the great hunter and brilliant Sirius. Ah, but there are plenty of stars here, even though they're faint, and they form a sizable constellation named Monoceros, the unicorn. Its head and horn are just to the left of Betelgeuse, and the body stretches eastward between the bright stars Procyon and Sirius with its hind end about two clenched fists to the upper left of Sirius. And if Orion is such a great hunter, how can he miss a celestial hare, the constellation Lepus, right under his feet? I like spotting Lepus because it does look like its namesake. Its head is on the right, marked by a small trapezoid of four stars, with pointy ears extending upward just beneath Rigel. And to their left is an arc of stars along its back and hindquarters. Now, for extra credit, and I'm especially talking to those of you who live farther south, there's yet one more bit of prey hidden beneath Lepus, about two fists lower down. That would be Columba, the dove. It made its first appearance on star maps in the late 16th century as Columba Noaki, Noah's dove, which the biblical boat builder released after the Great Flood. It later returned with an olive branch in its beak, signifying that dry land was nearby. That's about it for this month. If you want more tips for viewing the night sky, including a free interactive star chart for any time or date, check out our website, skyandtelescope.org. If you haven't already subscribed, you can find this sky tour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And please leave a rating or a review. It'll help me to do a better job and help others to find the show. And if you want to explore the solar system and universe more deeply, please do check out the full line of binoculars and telescopes available at Celestron.com. Sky Tour is a production of Sky and Telescope, 
a division of the American Astronomical Society, and is produced by me, Kelly Beattie. Next month, I'll introduce you to twin brothers who've really made a name for themselves in the sky. Until then, I wish you clear skies.